Amen. Thank the Lord. Well, if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to go to the book of Mark, please. The gospel according to the book of Mark. And while you're turning there in chapter 16, there's just a couple of things I want to say. First of all, it's good to see Pops with us. Always an honor to have Brother Tubby, affectionately known as Pops. Then the next thing I want to say is to Janet and all of our teachers, they get to come in and be in service with us on the fifth Sunday of the month. Other than that, they are serving your children and our children. And so we appreciate you allowing them uh, service to come in here and be in the house of the Lord. So Janet and your team, I'd like for us to give all of our teachers a just a real hand of appreciation. For those of you that are new, the Holy Spirit spoke to me probably four to six weeks ago and told me God was going to do a work of restoration in our finances, in our prodigal sons and daughters in this region, and in our health. So I want you to know on Wednesday, I believe it was, a lady who had been praying for probably over 40 years for her husband, I baptized her husband in the name of Jesus for the remission of all his sins. After probably praying 40 or 50 years for her husband. Isn't that great? Then I had a, uh, I have a, a, we have a couple in this church and they came and told me, we don't know how this happened, uh, but other than the goodness of God, but $17,000 was deposited into our account and we just give God all the praise for that. So you say, well, I sure would like that to happen to me. Well, just, you know. Keep sowing the seed. Just keep sowing the seed. And it will come back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. So I just wanted to give you those good news because a lot of times when we get up here, we don't talk about the good things. We don't share that with everyone. And we should because a good report makes the bones fat. In other words, it makes you healthy to hear good report. I'm going to talk to you out of my spirit this morning. I'm probably going to do more teaching than preaching. But listen, here's, I need to just, um, I need to give a little instruction. If you don't believe what I am teaching, then all I ask is that you go and get in the word and study it for yourself. And I say this sincerely. If you can come back and show me where I got off base, I will, I promise you that I will listen to you and I will respect that. But if this happens to maybe go against some of your ideologies, then all I'm asking is for you to say, God, I don't want my theology to get in the way of your Bible. Is that okay? All right, and that's all I ask, and if you will grant me that, I couldn't ask for more. I'm going to talk this morning on this subject, what is the gospel, okay? We're going to start with the book of Mark, chapter 16, verse 15. And he said unto them, go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What is the gospel? Would you open your hearts and your minds now to receive from the word of the Lord? Would you do that? Father, for the next, Lord, 30 minutes, would you just help us now to receive from your word? Lord, we don't want our ideologies to get into the way of your word. We want to hunger after truth because it is the truth that makes us free. And we thank you for it. And everybody say amen. amen. God bless you. You can be seated. The word gospel, for those of you that are new, it means good news. The gospel means good news. If you take it a step further, the gospel can mean the nearly too good to believe news. 
So the gospel, when we say the gospel, what is the gospel? The gospel is good news. So what is the good news? Well, the good news is this, that Jesus is not mad at us. I'm going to say that again for all of you longtime Pentecostals. God is not mad at us. He's not mad at us. God is not angry with us. God has forgiven us of our sins. He accepts us as we are. He's come to heal us. And He's come to give us a brand new start. I'm going to pause here because we've all heard the rain. So y'all, it's raining. Okay? It's raining. We all know rain. So now let's bring our minds into focus so we can get this word. I haven't studied and prayed for hours and hours upon hours and missed meals and studied. Now for you to be distracted by what you know is rain. It's raining. But you're dry. And you're going to be okay. And if you get wet, you're not going to melt. I promise you. You're made of sugar, but not that much. Bring your mind into focus. You and I need to hear this word. Are you with me? I'm very passionate about this. Okay? I don't want to be arrogant, but passionate. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that Jesus is not mad at us, that he has not holding our sin against us, that he has forgiven us, that he came to heal us, and he come to give us a brand new start. Would you agree on that? Now I want you to go in your Bible, and I want you to look at the book of Luke. Chapter 4. This is verses 17 through 19. Jesus now in this passage has gone to the synagogue on the Sabbath as was his custom. And on this particular morning, he gets up and he takes the scroll. And they hand him the book of Isaiah. And he gets up in church, opens up the book of Isaiah. And this is what he begins to say. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. If you're with me, say amen. Amen. He has sent me to heal the broken in hearted. To preach deliverance. I am going to cast that devil out of that computer. Not out of the person, out of the computer. I want this word up there. And I know it's not Garrett's fault. It's This computer's been crashing. I know the devil don't want me to do this, but we're going to do this this morning. We're going to preach this word this morning. In fact, I probably just need to turn my phone off because you don't want to go out in this weather anyway. Here we go. Luke 4 and 17. So, recapping. The the, the scroll was given to the Lord. He opened it up. It was the book of Isaiah. And he opened and he started reading. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. You with me? He has sent me to do what? Heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty them who are bruised, verse 19, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, in these two verses, I want to break down what the Lord said. First of all, He said, I've come to bring good news to the poor. Second, I've come to heal every person that is brokenhearted. Third, I come to set people free. Free from what? Their sin. Fourth, he said, I've come to heal spiritual, 
physical and moral blindness. Fifth, he said, I've come to bring liberty to those who are oppressed. What does the word oppressed mean? It means they were oppressed of the devil. It means you could be oppressed by depression. You could be oppressed by fear. You could be oppressed by sickness. There's a number of things that you could be oppressed by, but the power of God, Jesus is saying, I've come to deliver them who are oppressed. And then he said, I've come to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. What does that mean? It is a reference. What Jesus is doing here is referencing the year of Jubilee. Now, if you're new and you don't know what the year of Jubilee is, you can go to Leviticus chapter 25 and you will find out that the year of Jubilee meant that all of Israel was free from all of their debts. Okay? It was every 50 years was the year of Jubilee and they were totally free from all of their debts. If they had to sell their property then their property was restored back to them. If they sold their self into slavery, then now they were free from slavery. And literally every person in Israel got a fresh start and a clean slate. So what Jesus is referring to here is that I come so that you can have a fresh start, that all of your sins are forgiven, If you've been in slavery to sin, you are set free and I'm pushing the restart button on you. You are now a new creature in Christ Jesus and all of the old has passed away and now you are a new creature in Christ. Does that all make sense? Okay. Now, here is the good news. Jesus in these passages comes to loose the shackles of sin, to bring liberty to the oppressed, and to give people a new start. Would you agree with that? So we're batting a hundred. Now let's look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm studying this out this week. I'm asking myself the question, why would Paul be ashamed of the gospel? Why would he need to make that statement? Well, if you go back in the book of Acts chapter 18, Paul preaches the death, the burial, and the resurrection, and it said some mocked him not believing, but others did believe. And so what Paul is saying, I don't care if you mock this gospel. I don't care if you don't believe the death and the burial and the resurrection. Just because you don't believe it doesn't mean it's not so. So Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed to get up here and say that the way you are saved is not based off of the law any longer. You are now saved based off of the finished work of Calvary through what Jesus did for us at the cross. And he says, I'm not ashamed to preach that gospel. Why? Why is he not ashamed? He said, because it is the power of God unto salvation. Then he goes on to say to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Now, here's the incredible thing about the gospel. The story of an eight-year-old being converted like I was at eight years of age is just as amazing as one of these 40-year-olds that is saved after a life of drug abuse. You say, why? It's God's power that lifts the 40-year-old out of drug abuse. And it is the power of God that keeps an eight-year-old from drug abuse. But it's all the power of God. And it doesn't have anything to do with you. So the gospel then, ladies and gentlemen, is about the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and what he has accomplished for us. Are you agreeing with me? Now look at verse 17, chapter 1, verse 17 of Romans. For herein, okay? In another translation, it says for therein. What does herein or therein mean? It means for therein, he's talking about the gospel. 
He's going back. Paul is talking about for therein, for the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Now, I could get into what does it mean from faith to faith. I can't take the time to do that, but I can explain that to you. Okay, Some believe he's talking about from Judaism to Christianity. Can't get into that. But Paul is saying that it is the gospel that is the righteousness of God revealed in us. For the, for the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed in us. Now, here's what the gospel should do for all of us. It should humble us by reminding us that only his righteousness is our righteousness. And our only power is to live a holy life through the power that he gives us. Did I lose you? Okay. The gospel should humble us that the only righteousness that we have is his righteousness and the only power that we can live this life is through the power that he gives us. Okay. Now, I don't think, ladies and gentlemen, I don't think that many Christians see the gospel as good news. I don't. I'm going to be extremely transparent with you today. Okay? If it takes me three hours, I'm going to deliver this word. I'm going to. Okay? For those of you watching, Hang in there. I believe, and I might be wrong, but I believe that many people think that salvation is standards. And I think that many, especially us Pentecostals, okay? I think that many of us see salvation now as what we can't do. I think that many, now you won't say this, okay, but it's in your brain. You see salvation as where you can't go. And eventually, as you stay in this longer and longer, we start seeing salvation as what we are against. So I'm going to recap what I just said. For the most part, especially us Pentecostals, we see salvation as standards, We see it as what we can't do. We see it as where we can't go. And we see it as what we are against. Okay. What did Jesus preach as the gospel? The gospel is good news. That Jesus loves you. That he wants to set you free from your sin that he's not holding it against you, that God is not mad at you, that he wants to heal you, and he wants to give you a fresh start. Did we not just prove that according to the word of God? Do y'all agree with me? Okay, now look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. Matthew 9, verse 9. I just want you all to know that I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just, I'm, I'm against spirits. Okay. I'm not, I promise to God I ain't mad at one person, but I am coming against spirits. Okay. Okay. So Jesus walks up. He sees Matthew. Matthew, the Bible says, is sitting at the tax booth. He's actually sitting at the tax booth. He's actually collecting taxes. Okay? And as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said unto him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now, would you agree that's pretty simple? So let me give you the backstory on this. Matthew was a tax collector. The Jews regarded Matthew as a traitor 
because he was collecting taxes for the Romans. The Romans hated Matthew because he was Jewish. And tax collectors were seen as the most sinful human beings. So the Pharisees hated them because they saw them as the most sinful human beings on the planet at that time. So here's what this means. Are you with me? Say amen. So here's what it means. It means that the Jews, the Romans, and the Pharisees hated tax collectors. Hated them. And yet Jesus calls him to be a disciple. Now notice in verse 13 about Matthew. Here's what the Lord goes on to say, because man, they're upset about this. The Pharisees are upset about it. How in the name of God can you call a tax collector to be one of your disciples? Look, look at, the, look at verse 13, I believe it is. Here's what Jesus says. He says, I desire, here's what he says. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay. I dig into this. I look. What is, what is this? What does this word sacrifice really mean? Here's what it's talking about. Jesus is going back to the Old Testament and he's saying, I'm not really looking for religious rituals. He said, he said, in mercy, the word here means steadfast love. So if you, if you break it down, God is basically saying, listen, I didn't come to be impressed by your religious rituals. I've come to take my steadfast love for humanity and I am willing to call the lowest of the low to come and follow me. Is that good? All right, so let's go back now. Matthew is sitting collecting taxes. He's hated by the Jews. He's hated by the Romans. He's hated by the Pharisees. But God calls him while he is collecting taxes and says, come and follow me. Now, you got to read what is not here. There is no mention in this text where God gives Matthew rules. There is no mention in this text where God is talking to him about religious rituals. God did not tell him at this time where he could not go, what he could not do. There is no mention of eternal damnation in this call. All he says is this, Matthew, come and follow me. And I'm going to take you, son, on a process called discipleship. And the longer you stay with me, the prayer is the more you become like me. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to keep preaching to you what I believe is the truth. Justification has nothing to do with you. It was God that called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, placed his blood upon you, forgave you of your sins, and if you ask him, he filled you with his spirit. That was all what God did for you. You didn't have anything to do with that. Now, this process of sanctification, you have something to do with that. Okay? And we're going to get into it in just a minute. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to just reiterate because I don't want anybody to misconstrue what I'm saying. I want you all to know that I believe in the Acts 238 experience it. I preach it and I practice it. So I believe it. Okay? So do not read anything into what I'm about to say. But I'm going to ask all of you, if I could take all of you by yourself and I could just take you into my office and I could ask you this question by yourself. How in this moment do you know you're saved? What would you point to? If I took you, and I'm not picking on you, but I just saw you, Sister Pruitt. If I took you back there into my office, me and Sister Janet, and I looked at you and I said, Sister Pruitt, tell me in this moment, how are you saved? What would you tell me? How do you know in this very moment that you were saved? What would you tell me? Ladies and gentlemen, here's what I hope would be your answer. 
I'm hoping that your answer would be, I point to the finished work of Calvary. That is what saves me. If you thought in your mind that you could point to anything else other than the finished work of Calvary, then here's my next question. Where is your peace in salvation? Where do you get peace in your salvation if you are not pointing to the finished work of Calvary? You say, what do you mean? Here's what I mean. It's because the enemy will always accuse us of not doing enough. Always. What do you mean by that? Even my standards. Are my standards enough? Because by some people, my standards aren't enough. Their standards are more. So are my standards enough? Well, I give, I got a, you know, a contribution statement saying I gave thousands of dollars to the church. But then the question is, could I have given more? Maybe I should have done even more. Then you go back to, well, I pray, but I'm sure that I could pray a little bit more. Well, I did fast. I fast, you know, a couple meals, and I'm not, I I fast more than a couple meals on the fast. I'm just hypothetically speaking. So you say, well, yeah, I fasted. I fasted a couple meals, but I probably could have done more. Well, do you read your word? Yeah, I read my word, but. I've never read it all the way through and I could probably read it more. Are you getting where I'm going? So then how do you have peace in your salvation? Because the enemy's always going to tell you you didn't do enough. Well, here's the fact, ladies and gentlemen. If I won, Janet and I won 10,000 people, the fact is there's 10,000 that we didn't win. Right? So then where am I going to get peace in my salvation? How, how am I not going to live under condemnation if I'm always having to point to what I've done? Are you with me? Okay. See, the only way that I can have peace is in the finished work of Calvary. So that when the enemy says, you haven't done enough this week, you know what I can say? You're right. But thank God it's not based off of what I've done. Do I need to do more? Yes. Should I pray more? Yes. Should I give more? Yes. Huh? Please do not misconstrue your pastor. I am not giving any of us a license to parade our flesh. God never wants us to parade flesh. He wants us to put the fruit of the Spirit on display, not our flesh on display. But that still is not what saves me. Everybody still all right? Okay. I want to just keep on making my point. I want you now to go to Luke 18. Okay, this is very important. I know I'm teaching, but this is very important. Look at this. Verse 9. And he spoke this parable to some, listen, here's the key word, who trusted in themselves. That they were righteous and they despised others. I am so sorry to tell you this, but me and Janet, we feel like we're pretty conservative people, feel like we're pretty moderate, but I have been in the presence of some that look down their nose on me because they didn't think I was as holy as they were. Y'all know I'm telling the truth. Y'all know I'm telling the truth. And here's the deal. This is exactly where the Pharisee was at. The Bible says that he despised them because they were not as holy as him. Why? Because they were trusting in themselves. Now, keep reading. Verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector, a publican. Verse 11. And the Pharisee stood and prayed. Thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. I'm not an extortionist. I don't take from people. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. I don't whoremong and sleep around. I'm not like this old filthy, sinful tax collector. So now he's telling God about everything he don't do. Okay? Now let's take the next verse. 
Verse 12. Now here is what I do. Pharisees, I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I possess. So, so the Pharisee is telling God, here's what I don't do. Here is what I do. Now the publican is in the room and here's what he does. Verse 13, and the publican standing afar off, beating his breast, rising up his eyes to heaven and says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Now this is very important. The difference between the Pharisee and the publican was one word. It's called trust. What do you mean by that? The Pharisee was trusting in what he didn't do and what he did. And the publican was trusting in the mercies of God. That even though he was a rank sinner in the eyes of man, God would show his steadfast love to him and not see him as men see him, but see him through the grace of God. It was all in what they put their trust in. Here is the question for all of you sweet, sweet people. Here it is. Are you ready? Do you trust in what you do? And that makes you righteous. Or do you trust in what he's done for you and you understand that's where I get my righteousness? My sweet brothers and sisters, if a person is putting their faith in all of their religious acts, what they do, then according to Scripture, God has a problem with that. Because if you keep reading, here's what the Bible says. And the publican left justified. Didn't say the Pharisee did. Said the publican did. And he left justified. I've taught you what justification means. The simple term is just as if you had never done it. He did not let the Pharisee off, but he let the publican off. Why? Because the Pharisee was looking at what he had done and what he hadn't done based off of his righteousness. And the publican was basing his righteousness off of what God and God's mercy would do for him. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, let's look at Romans. I want to further make my case. Romans 9, 30 through 32. What shall we say then? The Gentiles, that's us, who did not pursue righteousness, have done what? Have obtained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. Verse 31. But Israel, not following, which followed, pardon me, after the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Verse 32 says, Wherefore, how did Israel not attain to righteousness? How did they not attain? How did they not get it? He's going to tell you. Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were the works of the law. Here's what Israel was saying. Look at everything that we do. Look at all of our sacrifices. Look at all the things that we give up. Look how we live our lives. Look at all of this. All of this. Look at circumcision. All of this makes us righteous. Are y'all still with me? Have I lost you? And the Lord, it, and, 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 and Romans is telling us no. No. They got a righteousness by the law, but he says, I want the Gentiles to get a righteousness by faith. So listen, if I got this right, there's two types of righteousness. There's a righteousness based off of performance, and there's a righteousness based off of faith. Are you with me? Okay. Righteousness by the law, there's another word for it. It's called self-righteous. And then Isaiah told us in 64 and 6 that all our righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. Then James 2 and 10 says this, if you keep the law and yet offend in one point, you're guilty of breaking all of it. What does that mean? It means that there was a hundred points in the law and you kept all 99, but you messed up on one. It's God looks at it as you've messed up on all of it. 
Are y'all still with me? But if you put your faith in Jesus, then you would receive his righteousness. There's many Pentecostals. There's many Pentecostals. They don't really believe. They don't consider that they're seeking after their own righteousness, but they really are. Okay, I need y'all to stay with me. Very important. There's a lot of Pentecostals. Their only hope of entering into heaven is that they go to church, they try to be good, and they try to live up to some standard of morality. And all they're doing is pointing to their performance. And this verse that I've just read in your hearing is saying that the Jews weren't seeking salvation by faith, but they were seeking it by performance. And they were not earning His gift. They were trying to earn His gift. Did I just make sense? They said what we do causes us to earn it. They were trying to establish their own righteousness and therefore they saw no need to believe in Christ. You say, Pastor, I don't know if that's true. Look at Romans 9 and 32. I'm going to prove it's true. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. What does that mean? It means the Pharisees literally tripped over Jesus. Why? Because all they could see was their righteousness is what saves them. And Jesus was coming on the scene and saying, it doesn't matter how much you do, what you do is not what's going to save you. And they stumbled over that. Keep reading. In Galatians, Paul speaks to them. He says, you Judaizers, because you believe in circumcision so strong, you think that that's what's going to save these New Testament believers. And Paul is saying, we will not come back under the bondage of that. Are y'all still with me? I'm not mad. I'm passionate. Because truth will make you free. So, What does it mean for us to believe in our own righteousness? It means we are looking at our performance and we're not looking at what Jesus did on the cross because we really go back to, we really believe that what we have done is what saves us. And you know what? That's very offensive to Christians when you tell them that their good deeds don't make them righteous before God. Then a lot of people are saying, are you serious, pastor? Then why am I even doing good deeds? I've had an elder lady come up to me and say, I don't understand. I've served God for 40 years and I've asked him and asked him to heal me. I don't understand, pastor. I have paid my tithes. I have been faithful. I have, and she went through her list. And I'm very careful with elders. Bible tells me don't rebuke an elder. And I just told her, I looked at her. She, she, I just looked at her and said, I'm so sorry. She didn't realize it, but what she was doing is she was pointing to everything that she thought made her righteous and everything that she thought God should be indebted to her. And since she had done all of this for God, God owed her something. Are y'all with me? So you say, then why do I need to even do these good deeds? Well, because good deeds will help you. And you will be rewarded on that day for all of your good deeds. And your good deeds promote the kingdom of God. When you're in the earth and you're doing good deeds, you are a royal representative as a son of God. And when people see it, they're blessed by it. They see your light. They see your love. But our good deeds do not save us. Look at Luke, ladies and gentlemen, 17 and 9. This is... This is what seems like a harsh verse. Does he thank the servant? In other words, does he thank him? Oh, thank you, servant, because you did what was commanded. Does God get up there and say, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Keep reading. Here's what it says. So you also, when you have done all that you have been commanded, say, we are unworthy servants We have only done what is our duty. So here's how God sees it. Y'all, this is a totally different way to relate to God than what most of us do. 
See, here's how God sees it. So you pay tithes for 40 years. So do you really believe if you hadn't paid tithes for 40 years that I couldn't pay the light bill in heaven? So you really believe because you came and you got perfect attendance for 40 years and you taught Sunday school that I should be impressed? Because you take put this on or you don't put this on or you take this off and you don't wear this that I should be impressed? God is saying, listen, you, me, us, owe our life to him. We didn't call ourselves. You say, well, my mama was saved. You know what? That probably helped because your mama prayed for you. But just because your mama was saved, the Bible says that he called you out of darkness. The Bible says that except he draw you, you can't come. I'm not saying that grandma's prayers and mama's prayers didn't help out. But I'm saying at the end of the day, it was his forgiveness that forgave you. And his spirit that filled you. And his righteousness that closed you. And it all goes back to him. So when you are relating to God based off of what you do, God says, listen, you wouldn't have anything anyway. Had I not blessed you because every good gift you have come down from me. Because I want to. But don't you get up in my grill and make me feel obligated to you. Because I am God. And I am not obligated to you. Because I did what I did. I saved your very life. Now, ladies and gentlemen, what I'm fixing to tell you is strong. It's strong stuff. I hope you can take some strong medicine. But the truth of the matter is every one of us need a savior because if we could have saved ourselves, God could have just stayed with the law and stayed in heaven. He didn't need to robe himself in flesh. If you can save yourself because you wear something long, then why does Jesus need to come? Why does he even need to shed his blood and give you a garment of righteousness if your garment saves you? Again, I'm not talking about show your flesh. We don't need to show our flesh. We need to show our fruit. Understand what I am saying. But I am saying that if your trust is in a garment, then what are you trusting in when you're in the shower doing personal hygiene? Oh, it don't work that way. Yes, it does work that way. Yes, it does. He said, be ready. For you don't know when I'm coming. Oh, Lord, hang on. I'm doing personal hygiene. Don't come now. You're not going to need any clothes anyway because he's going to robe you in that brand new body you're going to have. So he is not, God is not looking at your outward appearance. The reason why we dress modest is because if we, we dress modest because of our brother and sister, we don't want to make them stumble over our flesh. And what we want them to see is our fruit, not our flesh. But still, it doesn't matter. When I put this garment on, ladies and gentlemen, it's just to be presentable to you. It, this doesn't save me. What saves me is what you can't see. Because at six this morning, I was saying, I put on the Lord Jesus. And I am righteous because he makes me righteous. Are y'all still with me? See, you say, well, well, I believe in Jesus, but I still believe I have to do X, Y, Z to be accepted by God. I get what you're saying, Pentecostal. Y'all give me 10 more minutes and I'll be done. I get what you're saying. I understand. I grew up just like you did. But what you have to do, if you haven't tuned in, tune in right now. Pentecostal, please listen to your pastor who loves you very much. What you have to do is you got to be careful that you are not saying Jesus' payment for sin wasn't enough. So I have to add to what Jesus has done. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe that is the greatest sin of all. Jesus either paid it all or he paid for nothing at all. I promise to God, I am not here to hurt your feelings. But it's not Jesus plus you. It's Jesus or you. Either it's you are righteous based off of your performance or you are righteous based off of what Jesus did for you at Calvary. But it is not both. You say, Pastor, I don't believe that. Okay, then let's go to Romans 11 and 6. Romans 11 and 6. But if it is by grace, 
And there, just so you know, there are many times that you can interface the word grace and gospel. You can do it. So if it is by gospel, then it is no longer based on works. Otherwise, the gospel would no longer be the gospel. What, what, what are you saying here, Paul? He's saying this, that if God saves you by grace, then it's not based off of what you do. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. It would be based off of your performance. Guess what we do? We back right back up into Judaism. Same thing. It's their performance. It's I'm saved because I'm circumcised. I'm saved because I obey all these laws. I'm saved because I don't do this and I don't go there. And Paul is saying, you're not saved by that. You're saved by grace through faith. So that you can't get up there and boast. Here's the worst sin of all, Pentecostals. If for you to believe that the only thing God did for you was forgive your sins, but that's about it. And the rest you got to make up. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. I'm very passionate about this. This is like, if you do that, here's how this is like. Your best friend died for you. Your best friend went to the whipping post for you. Your best friend took your place. And then when you get up into heaven and you see your best friend, you look at your best friend who took your place, died in your place, did all of this stuff in your place, and you look at them and say, well, thank you, but I really saved myself. And your friend is going to look at you like, I was the one that took a bullet for you. I literally got in front of that bullet for you. And you're going to say, because you had your gun by your side, that's what saved you? How dumb can you be and still breathe? I'm not trying to be ugly. I promise you, I probably need to delete that statement. Delete that. That was deleted. That sounded rude. That sounded ugly. I promise to God I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm just trying to say, can you imagine your best friend doing everything for you and then you take the credit? Hey, you know what, y'all? Here's ought to, here, here, here ought to be a scripture that scares Pentecostals half to death. Here it is right here. You ready? Cast out demons in my name. Heal the sick in my name. Raise the dead in my name. And I'm going to say, depart from me because I never knew you. That ought to be the scariest verse to Pentecostals. Why? Because we're going to get to heaven and we're going to point to what we did. And God said, nah, wrong answer. I won't have anything to do with that. You didn't do it. I did it. And I chose, I chose to make you look good because I want to partner with you because I want you to be my royal son and royal daughter on the earth. But make no mistake about it. It's my power. And all you do is release it. You're not the source of it. You're a conduit of it. And when you start pointing to I, 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 that's what made Lucifer fall down. The five I wills, you can read them. The five I wills. I will exalt myself above the heavens. And I will, five I wills. God said, no, you won't. And that's what he's going to say to a lot of people. I got myself up here based off of my good works and what I did. And by the way, I cast out devils and I spoke with tongues and I did all this in your name. And God is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Why? Because you thought that your performance is what saved you. And I'm telling you, it's the grace of God that any of us are here today. Would you stand to your feet and give God some praise? Oh, my God. Here's, here's my hope, ladies and gentlemen. My hope is, is to get your motivation for serving Jesus right. That's why I preached as hard as I preached. Is my hope is to get your motivation for serving Jesus right. What, what do you mean by that? Because here, here's what I know. Here's what I know. When you get this message of grace and you're transformed by the message of the grace and what Jesus did for you on the cross, it'll transform the way you view God. It will transform the way you relate to God and it'll transform the way you receive from God. Y'all, I grew up in this. This is all I've ever known. I cut my teeth on a Pentecostal pew and I was raised up in a fear-based message. God's always going to get me. I better be careful because the judgments of God are after me. And it's fear-based. 
And guess what? I started seeing salvation as what I couldn't do, where I couldn't go, what I couldn't wear. All you sweet people, I love you so much, but I'm going to ask you a question. When's the last time, when's the last time you looked at a person and says, listen, I got some good news. God loves you. He's not mad at you. He's not imputing your sins against you. He come to heal you. He come to give you a fresh start. Just come on, Matthew. Just come follow me. And we'll get this figured out. Through this process called sanctification, you're going to become like me. But not based off of what you do. It's based off of what I've done for you. So see now, it's taken me a long time. So I may come across as, why don't you get this? It's not that. It's taken me a long time to come here. Long time. I've been studying this now for years. So I don't expect you to get it in one 45-minute message. Okay? But now I don't relate to God as angry God anymore. I relate to Him as a merciful Savior. I don't. I no longer relate to God as a hard taskmaster. I now relate to Him as a son. And even when I've sinned, Sister Rebecca, even when I've done wrong and haven't done it right, I still don't relate to him as a hard taskmaster. I come right into his presence and I say, God, I know I should have done that a little better, but I'm your son. And I come asking for grace to help me in my time of need and shortcoming. Now, I no longer say to God, God, I don't understand why you hadn't blessed me. I've been paying 15%. Jan and I have been paying 15% of our income for over 30 plus years. I don't understand. Uh Uh-uh. I don't do that. I know that God wants to bless us. Because this is what Ephesians says. He says, I have blessed you with all spiritual blessings. He's already done it. I no longer come to Him begging Him for to do something that He's already done. I come in the righteousness of Christ. Here's what Jesus said, y'all. I got, I got, I got to get it out of me. Here's what Jesus said. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. It hurts me. It hurts me to no end to see no joy on Pentecostals' faces. Hurts me to no end. I go to some of these other movements to see what they're doing, and they're standing for 45 minutes. I've seen it, y'all. I got it on video. They're standing for 45 minutes, and they're jumping, and they're singing with all of their heart. And I ask some Pentecostals, hey, man, would you mind coming up around the front and worship? Do I have to? I mean, why do you want me to step out of my pew? I mean, my God, I'm right here. Because they think, what, they, they don't see the gospel as good news. They see the gospel as what I can't do, where I can't go. What I can't, can't, can't. And when's the last time? I'm asking you again. When is the last time, at the proper time, you sat by a friend and just said, Hey, I just want to tell you, God loves you. He's not mad at you. He's already forgiven you of all your sins. All you got to do is just ask Him. He wants to heal you. Spirit, soul, and body. He wants to give you a fresh start. Brothers and sisters, if we truly get a revelation that that's the gospel, you know what? This whole witnessing deal, that ain't no big deal. That's a pleasure. Because everybody needs good news because the media is not doing it. Social media is not doing it. Nobody's doing it. But we got the good news. The good news is, is that God wants to redeem you from where you were going. Not because He wanted you to go there, but because He's got to judge every sin because He's just. Do you receive this word? Yeah, I do all right, baby. Oh my God. Y'all, we've got the greatest news. And the enemy has blinded our eyes to make us think we gotta earn it. Off of our performance. Here's what I know. And I'll I'll be done. I know I preached a long time this morning. 
But when you truly get a hold of the grace of God, I guarantee you, it sets you free from sin, not free to sin. I'm going to say that again. When you get a hold of the grace of God, it doesn't set you free to sin. It sets you free from sin. Because now your motivation is not serving God out of fear. Your motivation is serving God out of love. God, I can't even for the life of me understand why you would choose me and place gifts in me and call me into the ministry. God, I know I could never earn this, but thank you for not giving me what I deserve. Thank you for giving me what Jesus deserved and Jesus took what I deserved so what what what, why have you spent 50 minutes this morning talking to us I'm just trying to change the motivation of how you serve God to get you out of a fear-based religion into a love relationship and to understand ladies and gentlemen that he loves you so much you know what, you know what, you know what, sister, um, you know, you know what sister Hamilton told me the other day? She said, she said, pastor, I love my daddy so much and my daddy loved me so much. She said, there was things I didn't do just because I didn't want to disappoint him because I wanted him to be proud of me. And that's why I did it. That's what I'm trying to get this church to enter into. That you love God so much as your heavenly father. You don't want to disappoint him. You don't want to hurt him. You want to always let him know, God, I know I don't deserve this, but I thank you for the grace of God in my life. It's not based off of what I do. Did you receive this word? I know I've asked you to do it before, but I'm asking you to do it again. I'm so passionate about it. Place your hand on your head and ask God to give us revelation right now. In the name of Jesus, Father. Give us, especially us Pentecostals that has been in this for 40 and 50 years. Give us revelation. in this room man the Holy Spirit's here in this room hey if you gotta go I understand I get it I preached a long time today you know I, I wanna I wanna go I wanna change songs on you again Kaylee I know I told you to sing that but I wanna go back to singing my favorite I love you Lord that's what I want to sing again. I love you, Lord. Y'all, I woke up this morning. I was so excited about this message. But to be honest with you, I didn't feel like a Christian this morning. Guess what? I probably won't feel like a Christian in the morning. But it ain't based off of what I feel. It's based off of what I know. I know that God loves me. 
And it blows my mind when I have some sweet little Pentecostal says, I don't know if God loves me and I want to point to the cross. Whoever did that for you, sweet sister, nobody's ever done that for you. Please, please, I beg you, never doubt the love of God. The reason why you're doubting the love of God is because you're going back into performance mode and you're saying God is not doing what I want Him to do based off of what I've done. God said, you're not going to obligate me like that because first of all, I don't owe you anything anyway. Did y'all hear? No, I'm going to tell you something. David Grigsby preached a word in this church Wednesday night and I'm telling y'all, we had an unbelievable manifestation of the power of God. If you wouldn't hear, you owe it to yourself to go back and hear that word. You know what he said when he had Alex? He said, Alex was a preemie. And I held that preemie baby in my hand. And I said, God, I don't understand. Look at all that I've done for you. And this is what I get? Sorry, Brother David, but you was in performance mode. You thought you was righteous based off of what you wore, what you didn't wear, where you didn't go. Did it change God's mind? Nope, sure didn't. I'm not trying to be ugly, y'all. But if we don't think like Him, we're not going to get His results. You can't think like you want to think and get God's results. you got to think like He wants you to think. That's Romans 12 and 2. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay, y'all, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to shut up. I love you. I love you. I love you. I want to see you free. Not free so you can parade your flesh. Our pastor said it don't matter. No, not free to parade your flesh. Free to parade your fruit. Hereby shall you know that you're my disciples. By parading flesh? No. But by the love of God. Met right? Y'all okay? You receive this word? Okay. You don't want to go out in this anyway. It's raining. Kaylee's going to sing, and I'm going to ask you to turn around to somebody. If you know them well enough, put your hand on their shoulder and say, God, would you free us from this performance mindset that we've been living in?
of your sins. He wants to give you a fresh start. He wants to heal you spiritually, mentally, emotionally. He wants to bless you financially. He's a good God. He loves you. Janet, I love you. You can be dismissed. Thank you. Thank you for your attention today.